Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter, where we are relearning together how to live in an age of fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. So things are about to get more radical here on the Heart of the Matter set for some of you. Why? We're going to begin to learn together how to shift our thinking from we must comply to everything is a choice of if we will comply. And it's not comply. Uh, it's if, if we're going to shift from you must comply to what do you choose to do. That's, that's what we're working on through these concepts. Why? In the New Testament, uh, we know by now, talking uh, together, that the apostles were in charge of overseeing the bride of Christ until he returned as promised to take her. They were serious about the believers following the mandates of the apostles because Satan was loosed and he was like a roaring lion roaming about seeking who he could destroy before his time ended once and for all. He knew his time was short, according to Revelation. So by the Holy Spirit, the apostles gave directives to that bride and they gave it to that bride so that she would be pure and she would be united, and she would be, as Ephesians say, says, without spot and without wrinkle. That's a really big definition of the church. We're talking about pretty strict. I mean, the, the Revelation says the 144,000 were going to be defiled by women. We're talking about a very pure bride coming out of that nation of Israel with a few Gentiles. Since Jesus has returned, we continue to read the word, but the message shifts from having a, you must do this in order to follow the apostles' uh, insights by the Holy Spirit at that time, to you might consider doing this freely because it's good and loving for you, other individuals, for couples, for families, for communities, for the nation, for the world. This approach is central to those who understand fulfillment. God's principles for living are there for the taking. And his spirit moves. He's written his laws on individuals' hearts in this day. And the spirit moves and guides us. And so from the mouth of the two witnesses of the spirit and the word, a Christian is able to govern the direction of their life. It's not by the word alone, as Sola Scripturans try to say. So... How do we choose because we are no longer the bride to be without spot or wrinkle? We are walking to keep ourselves loving others selflessly and patiently and kindly and mercifully. Our sins, our shortcomings, our failures have been paid for. So we're going, and in our flesh, we're going to continue to have those problems. And, and so we have to understand just how this works, and it's kind of messy because it's not clear. It's up to the individual, and because it's subjective, we're trying to work through together to try to see, well, how do we really approach these subjects? So tonight I want to begin with the first subject, and from this subject, build out to what life as a Christian will be, on into having children, raising them, education, everything. But the subject I want to start with tonight is marriage, specifically what is marriage according to the Bible? Because we are sons and daughters. We're trying to understand what the Bible says marriage is. Must Christians marry today? Um, who can a Christian marry today in age of fulfillment? And is 
marriage still a good thing for sons and daughters, excuse me, to participate in? So let me hit these four questions to launch us into this discussion. And I hope you'll write your comments below and, and join in. Well, I think this, or I wonder about that. And how could you say this? Whatever. Add your comments below because tomorrow night we get together and we talk about what you guys say about what I'm trying to suggest. So let's go to that first question. What is marriage according to the Bible? It's really an important question because it has been so wrongly misinterpreted and approached over the ages. And these misinterpretations have culminated into a horrible byproduct of problems that we face today in the modern church. So marriage, plain and simple, biblically, occurs when two willing people, male and female, unite through sexual intercourse. This is marriage from the biblical perspective. When this occurs, the two have become one, and God deems that marriage, marriage. Marriage is not a ceremony. It's not a ritual. It's not a rite. It's not a contract. It, it, biblically speaking, it is what I just said. Marriage is not sexual expressions like holding hands, kissing, giving massages, or even some sexual uh, things that people do outside of intercourse. That's not marriage. Marriage is when the two individuals willingly, separate gender, become one through sexual intercourse. Those other things that can happen, you know, oral sex and all the stuff that goes on with people and that stuff is called lustful and carnality and it has its own problems and its own consequences in scripture. But sexual intercourse freely engaged in between two willing people, male and female, is the biblical definition of marriage. Why do I emphasize this and say this? Because this is how God set it up in the garden. But he sort of set it up in a reverse way. He took one man, Adam, he removed a rib. The Hebrew says he built that rib up to be a woman, Eve. And then he commanded those two to become one, to multiply and replenish the earth, right? And so to multiply and replenish the earth requires marriage, the two becoming one. And the product of that sexual union, intercourse, marriage, is uh, children multiplying and replenish the earth. That's why the biblical definition of marriage is what I have been saying. Um, through that specific union, through that specific union, from Genesis all the way out to, you know, whatever, 1940 or 50 or whatever it was, that is how life can be created between a couple, new life. There, the, all the stuff we have today in vitro and, and all the other things, they weren't really happening then. So for the majority of human history, as we see it from a biblical perspective, it was all done through marriage and sexual union. So the act of sexual intercourse is considered marriage biblically because when two willing people of opposite gender engage in it, they are agreeing at least anciently, I will be responsible to you and you will be responsible to me for the potential byproduct of this union, which is 
a child or children. That was serious among the nation of Israel. And so they didn't unite with each other if they were following God's way until they were ready to make that commitment. Then they united. They, they, so there's a tacit agreement between people who are having sexual intercourse biblically. It is, if they're doing it God's way, when I know you in that biblical sense, I agree to take on the responsibility of what can come about as a result. Can come about, may not, but can come about through our union through sexual intercourse. That's marriage. The, the, um, we note that Adam and Eve were commanded to be one without a ceremony. God does not include, Moses does not include in the book of Genesis, and God performed a wedding marriage ceremony. None of that. He didn't need to. He, he said, you two become one. They became one. They were united specifically to each other. There was only one woman and one man, and that was marriage from the beginning. No pastors, no certificate, no tax exemptions, none of that stuff that men have inserted into the whole thing. Just two people, the opposite sex, willingly engaging in sexual intercourse. That married them. We note that Abraham, when Sarah said, take Hagar, my handmaiden, and make her your wife, Abraham took her into a tent and they too willingly had sexual intercourse. What did that produce? Ishmael. And so he married Hagar. He took on another wife, right? If we read the Bible and understand and accept this, and if we teach this to our children, start to in the age of fulfillment and to each other, and we start to emphasize this, our views of sexual relations and marriage will take on whole new meaning. And we'll be able to approach it with our youngsters and children and our grandchildren in a way that will start to make more sense to them in the long run. And we'll have to reformat what we have done because what we have done to it uh, of our own measures and our own thinking has done nothing but mess it up. Um, that won't be what the controlling religions of the world will want, though. They'll hate this teaching. They can't stand it. You see, they decided to take the biblical definition of marriage and add to it. And this happens through cultures and it happens by, hey, we want to have a party. You guys are going to be married. And yeah, we're kind of uncomfortable that you're going to sleep together and have sexual intercourse without something official happening. So, you know, why don't we have a, a big celebration? And before that, why don't we have the, 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 the uh, rabbi say something? Why don't we break a glass? Why don't we do some other things to show that she's a virgin? And I don't know why we don't things, do things to show that he's a virgin, but why don't we add stuff to what God already instituted as marriage? And so then let's start seeing it as that. Let's add rituals and celebrations and demands, which took the biblical definition of marriage and added to it. Did God tell them to add to it? Not that I can see. I don't see anywhere where God says, have a celebration, have a pastor, say these words, say these rites, have the couple do this. I don't see anywhere where God says that. We know what the biblical definition of marriage is. God makes it plain that sexual intercourse between two people of the opposite sex freely is his definition of marriage, thereby making, listen, 
thereby making sexual intercourse between a male and a female super sacred, super reserved, super special, and acceptable intercourse in a very limited scope, one-to-one, because that's how Genesis laid it out, one-to-one. If God wanted men to have a bunch of women, he would have had one to many. He would have given him Eve and Jane and Beth and, and Ruth, right? And if he wanted a woman to be pleasured by a dozen men, he would have had a dozen men there and one woman. You know, and if he wanted us to uh, uh, get in orgies, he would have had top five men and five women, right? But he starts off with one and one. And so when those two become one, that is the bond that makes them one for life for life it's tacitly it's it's explicitly even commended by god and the spirit of god what is sad and most revealing is that in our world and in our age the ceremony of marriage the ceremony of weddings her day uh, bridezillas parties bachelor parties have become the all-important event, they have become so important to people while the actual act of biblical act of marriage, sexual intercourse, has been so devalued and common, it's like getting a cup of coffee with some people today. You understand? Do you see how we flip things? We flip things and now intercourse is like common. We'll have it weekly with a different person. But when we get married, we'll have just a big party and I'll wear a white dress. And, blah, blah, blah. and the bottom line is that is not God's way. God had nothing to do with that. It's an effed up mess, pun intended. But it's largely the fault of religions who could not refrain from taking what God intended and saying, that's just too wild. We just, now nah, we don't like that. So we're going to insert some things that are going to make it official. We're going to try to control people through these additions, stripping the ownership of marriage from the hands of the individuals and forcing ceremonies upon them as a means to insert authority and power over what human individuals can freely choose to do. And that gave them power and control over individuals. And listen, listen closely. That allowed individuals in their minds to separate biblical marriage and call that a church wedding and think intercourse is not the same thing. That the church wedding is the big step. The intercourse is just something that we do as humans because we get lusty and, and feel sexual toward the person we love. And we, as a church, we have flipped it and, we, and, and it's our fault that the weddings now have become more important than God's command. So as a result, intercourse became more and more of a non-event while having a church ceremony and the sanction of the pastor, the main event. Unbelievable how easily uh, controlled and manipulated uh, uh, we can be and the messes that we create by just stepping away from what the Bible really says about relationships. 
and go from there. I would further suggest that in this age of fulfillment, uh, and I wish it occurred a lot earlier to tell you the truth, that we, you and me, and the rest of us start teaching the value, the import, the sacredness of sexual intercourse. Because that should be held in reserve for the person that you are willing to have a child with, regardless of how that child comes out of the woman once you've made it. So, I mean, you tell your 14-year-old son, listen, son, sex is awesome. It's fantastic. Enjoy the heck out of it when you get married. But don't do it before because when you have sex, what happens is you can create a child and that child is going to come out and it's going to have needs. It could have special needs. It could be disabled. It could have all sorts of problems or it might be healthy, but it's going to have needs. And the person you're engaging with, that is your wife once you have sex with her. So that way we're not getting them all hung up on sex being wrong and being evil and filthy and dirty and ugly. God created it. He gave us parts for it. But it causes us to teach them that it's a great thing, but it comes with great responsibility. Great responsibility if you love God and if you love your neighbor, your spouse, your community, your country, and your world. Because when you break what God sees as marriage and you have intercourse with everybody around town, you are not loving your community, your world, the people you're engaging with, or really even yourself nor are you loving the children that could come as a result of those relationships. So this will not only take place, will not only place the right emphasis, sorry, on the seriousness of sexual intercourse, but it will liberate generations to come from the strongholds of the churches that have no business participating in that sacred act. I, I, we had a couple here years ago and they were uh, sexually in, uh, involved and they came to me and said, will you perform our uh, marriage, our wedding? And I said, you're already married. And they went to another church and they told the pastor that and he, w he went ballistic. That guy McCraney's a heretic. They were married. They're acting like a married couple. They were married. And I ultimately did perform the ceremony for them because the other pastor wouldn't because they were living in sin. They were living in marriage is what they were doing. That was, that's the difference. We refuse to see it that way because we're so bound up by what the traditions of men impose upon us. Next question. Must Christians marry? That is up to each and every individual. Remember, by looking at our definition of marriage and what it really is. In Paul's day, he said, hey, it's better to refrain from it. He says, it's better to be like me. But that was due to the freight train uh, of an end time hell that was rolling their way. And he said, is this better you stay single because of what's about to happen? But he also added, it was better to marry than to burn. And I think that's a double entendre for the people in that day. Burn in your flesh and burn at the end at his coming was the suggestion I think he's making. From the Christian perspective, if a person wants a fulfilling sex, sex life with a member of the opposite sex and they can't control themselves, then they have their answer. Once you have sexual intercourse with the person of your choice, that's your wife, that's your husband. No, people freak out. Women really hate this. Oh, no, 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 that's not my husband. Oh, yeah, it is. Let's just be frank. If we can't use the Bible as our guide, we're going to run into all sorts of problems. Now, I'm not, uh, I, you know, I know people have intercourse without thinking it's marriage, and they go on to another person. And, uh, that's, just, that's just selfish, lustful actions. 
God sees sexual intercourse between two people as marriage. Why don't we start talking about it that way? Remove the churches from it. Teach our kids what it really is. Support them in sexuality and help them understand it. Not make them feel guilty and shameful, but then coach them into what it's, how important it is. So again, we're going to talk about sex next week. Um, but can a person, uh, should a person... Must a person who's a Christian be married today? It's up to them. Another question, can a person be married to more than one person at a time? Apparently so. That's the biblical, what it says. Abraham was married to more than one at a time. David was married to more than one at a time. But in an age where God writes his laws on our hearts and in our minds, uh, uh, and his laws are all about agape love, which is the commandment Jesus gave, love your neighbor as yourself, the kind of love that is selfless and, and, and long-suffering and patient and kind, all persons involved in a polygamous marriage must be reassured by God somehow that it's the right thing to do for their life. I wonder about that inspiration, but can a person be married to more than one person at a time? They can. And the biblical way that they did it was man had more than one wife. I don't recommend it. I don't think it's loving. I think it's selfish. I think it destroys communities and it destroys the world. And, and yet, if someone came to me and says, I'm married to two women. We've decided on this. We've agreed to it. Uh, I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. And I think this is the way I'm going to go. My wives agree with me. I'm not the judge. You know, I'm looking at what has happened in the past, what is happening today. God is the judge. If someone says on my heart I can do that, they can do it. I don't agree with it, but that, what I agree with and don't agree with doesn't matter, does it? It's what God does. We have to be liberal on these types of things because it's not our job to try to enforce or mandate what other people in this world choose to do in the age of fulfillment. Our job is to love people with long suffering and meet them where they're at and help them know what Jesus can do for them. Our job is not to police people in any way or shape or form, including in the area of marriage. Christians today don't agree with that. They think they need to police the world when it comes to wedding ceremonies that are held by a justice of the peace between people. We're gonna talk about that in the coming weeks, but right now we're just sticking to these questions. This is really truly the difficult thing about living in the age of fulfillment, to believe and see that the victory has been had by Jesus Christ and everyone in the world has the liberty to choose to seek him and love others and love God, seek themselves, not love God, not love others. And Christians in the age of fulfillment must love everybody. And we're not involved in all the intricacies of what the evangelicals think it's all about. It's a waste of time. It just divides and it, and it ruins our opportunity to share Jesus with someone who really needs him. So to me and for sons and daughters looking for guidance, if you're one of them, the question we must all ask ourselves is what is best in terms of agape love in our lives relative to God relative to individuals, couples, families, community, country, and world. We take that into account when we choose to act one way or another. And I think you cannot go wrong with putting love first. We're all personally responsible for God for the decisions we make. I personally think the sorrows that come from multiple spouses 
or other forms of marriage, as they, we call it today, lead to sorrow. But I'm not the judge. God is in an age of fulfillment where his son has taken care of the sin. So the formula laid out in the garden by God seems to me to be best, if someone was to ask me, male and female willingly uniting together and once united, not departing. God hates the breaking up, loves the coming together, hates the breaking up. The detrimental effect of rearranging this layout that we find in Genesis are too deep to mess with when we consider everything. And we've all tried it. We've tried wife swapping, we've tried multiple partners, we've tried open marriage, we've tried, we've tried all sorts of things as a human race, and none of it supports individuals, couples, uh, community, country, and the world the way God's plan does in the scripture. But again, it's up to you to let that reign in your heart and you decide what the Spirit's telling you. Third question, in the age of fulfillment, can, who can Christians marry? And again, letting the Spirit guide, in my estimation, Christians can marry anyone they choose to marry as marriage is of this world and in the resurrection we're neither married nor given in marriage. It is an earthly institution, the uniting of uh, two and becoming one. It happens here for the benefit of families, okay? And, uh, but as with everything in the age of fulfillment, God has written his laws on our hearts. We're led by the Spirit, and we trust the Father by his Spirit through his Son that he will lead us, and we can trust him on his insights and wisdom in the area. So we think, we reason, we look at what Scripture says, we listen to what the Spirit says. Is it loving, is it right for us to marry somebody of another faith? Is it, would it be good for me to have married a Muslim woman? Uh, in the age of fulfillment, that's my decision. Could I raise children with her, a Muslim woman, and raise them up happily and without the problems? I don't know. I think it's really difficult. So my, the spirit, which is truth, says you, you want to get rid of the problems that are coming in marriage, so you might want to marry somebody that you're equally yoked to, if not religiously, intellectually, culturally, whatever it is. But when you bring religion in, it, it brings a whole new subject. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come too. And that's about being unequally yoked, which Christians use out of context and apply it to marriage. But we'll talk about that. The reason I don't stand firm on it is because I know of couples who come from, came from different religious backgrounds who God told them marry. And they did. And, and they had good marriages. And they um, loved each other. And even in some of them, their uh, spouses converted to the faith of Christ. So marriage is really hard for most people. It takes a lot of work and self-sacrifice. So to start two people off on different footing religiously is tough, especially when kids come in. But again, I am not being dogmatic. If you come in and your spouse is a Hindu and you're a Christian or whatever, we love, we embrace, and we, you show them who Christ is through your union. I know people who are not of the same faith who married, and it's worked out wonderfully. And I know devout Christians who have married devout Christians, and it's been horrible. So that is not necessarily the key to the institution of marriage, which is earthly. And remember, that this is not the economy. God wants what's best for us. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, lead. Marriage is of this world. It's a foundational block to healthy society <clears throat> with the longevity of it being the key. 
<laughs> if the spirit and not the sex drive guides, Christians are free to marry who they wish to marry in the age of fulfillment. And other religious Christian people should not look down their noses. I can't tell you how many times people slyly ask me, did your daughters marry a Christian? And I'll say, I hope not. <laughs> Just because I know what they're thinking, you know. If they marry a Christian, great. But uh, uh, there's, that, that, there's this vetting we do with each other. And it's not necessarily part of the age of fulfillment. The final question for tonight, is marriage good for today? As defined by the Bible, marriage is good. It's how the human race entered the cre into creation. And, uh, but we're not locked into it. If you're not married and never been married, if you've been divorced, we're going to talk about divorce later, don't beat yourself up. It can be lonely and uh, it can be a bummer if you're, if you're sexually driven uh, and you can get all kinds of problems with that. But marriage, again, as we have defined it tonight, is completely between every individual involved in the Lord. So write your comments and your questions about this topic. Please give us your experiences. Tell us if you married in the faith and it turned out badly. Tell us if you married a, uh, a person who was not Christian and if it turned out badly. And just share with us your views on this topic because it's a big one and we have a lot more to talk about it, talk about with it here on Heart of the Matter.